Good morning. I'm Wayne Weiser. I'll be reading 1 Samuel 17. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Ezekah in Ephes Daman. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with the valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And weight of coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, and he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear had weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted at the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for me yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then you will be your, I will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel. This day, give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was a son of an Ephraite of Bethlehem and Judah, named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle, and the names of his three sons who went to battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shema. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep in Beth at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. And Jesse said to David, his son, take for your brothers an ephah and this parched grain and these 10 loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these 10 cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well, and bring them some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions and went, as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up the, for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard them. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. 
And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches, and he will give his daughter and the make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, why shall be, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and take away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And then he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated, they repeated them before Saul and sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. But man, David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these. For I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the brook, and put them in the shepherd's pouch. His sling was in hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with a shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was a youth, ruddy, and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog, that you come with me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give you your flesh to the birds of air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts and the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead body of the host of the Philistine this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that the, all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, 
and that all this assembly may known that the Lord shall not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward him, the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand into the bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into the forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that there was a champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. And that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Shurim as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, Inquire whose son the boy is. And as soon as David returned from the striking down of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. That's a long story. But it's the word of God. Let's pray. As we turn to his word, Father, help us to hear what is true and good and right. Help us to respond properly to this story, which is well known to many of our ears, but we want to hear from you. So would your spirit guide our understanding and applying of this word to our lives, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to start with what this story is not saying. This text has been twisted from Scripture and the history of God's King and marketed, if I can frame it that way, for self-help and betterment. Let me give you a couple examples. A popular women's ministry author writes a book entitled, Five Stones for Fighting Giants in Your Life. Or a popular megachurch pastor says this, Many of you are fighting the biggest giant you've ever faced. You feel surrounded on all sides by the enemy, and you're fighting to save your children, save your marriage, save your home, save your business, and it feels insurmountable. But the Bible teaches us that the battle is the Lord's. With him on your, your side, you are a giant slayer. If we can learn from and apply the keys to David's success against Goliath, we can learn how to bring down our own Goliaths. We can face these giants with confidence and become giant slayers. I think that's an interesting statement. What are the keys to David's success? Find a creek, 
have a shepherd's pouch and throw slings at your boss if you need more berets. Or at, what, 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 I, think about that for a second. Notice what the assumption is. The assumption is, is that you're supposed to see yourself as David. And I want to tell you this morning, that is not what God's story is trying to tell you. And it is more than a little disappointing to realize how very well-known conservative pastors have used this story to talk about us. In fact, if you just Google giant slayer, you are a giant slayer, you can get mugs with this, t-shirts, plaques, go to Amazon and have fun. There's a lot out there. But here's the point, brothers and sisters. The main actor in this story is God. David knows that clearly. If this pastor had been rightly looking at the text, he would have seen that David is not trusting in himself at all. He's not in any way saying, I can do this. The main actor is God. And more than that, you are not David. Jesus is. This does not mean that the biblical characters can't teach us virtues and vices. Sure they do. But that even our character in our own story, according to the New Testament, is meant to be defined in Christ. Over a hundred times, 103 to be exact, the New Testament tells us our lives are in Christ. So we are never our own character. To live is Christ. My life is found in Him. So to take a story that is projecting the work of Christ, the true giant slayer, all the images and winks, I love that the text says in verse 40 that David put the stones in his shepherd pouch. Great insight. Because it's pointing to a true shepherd. Proof of this is in a couple things. I talked last week in chapter 16 that David was, a, was being imaged and presented as a type of Christ. Remember the four traits of this founding of this new king? He was from Bethlehem. He had character that reflected the Lord. The whole scene was in the context of sacrifice. Oh, and by the way, he was a shepherd. It's just shouting the full biblical story of Jesus. And then you get this image of this one young son coming from the shepherd's field, caring for the sheep to defend God's people, to stand up against a mighty foe with a shepherd pouch still strapped around his waist, fighting for the honor of God. How can we miss it? But a second and final proof of this is that every time God designates a person for service, the general pattern of Scripture is that he offers a demonstration to prove his selection. So God says, I'm going to take not Eliab, the oldest, most powerful son, or numbers 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, or 7. I'm going to take the little boy who wasn't even invited to the sacrificial honoring and the choosing of the king, who was out there with just, as his older brother reminds him, not even that many sheep. I'm gonna select that kind of pauper shepherd boy, and I'm gonna pick him out of the field, and I'm gonna put him in front of the most ferocious human, maybe known in human history, 
with a shepherd pouch still on and no armor to declare that I am God and nobody else is. Now, the moment we want to take that text and make it about us, we have totally diminished the actual true character of the biblical story. This text is given to us by God to teach us several things, and let me tell those to you. There's four that I want to point out. The first is in the first section of text. I don't give the whole text there because the bulletin would have been as thick as a dictionary, but I just break up into four sections some key things and key texts, and I'll highlight those. Here's the first, the thing the text wants to teach us. The perceived dominance of Goliath forces us to look at things from God's perspective. Greg beautifully pastored us before we sang, Be Thou My Vision, to think about seeing with God's eyes. And this text is doing the exact same thing. Goliath was a beast. Verse 4 says he was a champion. Now understand, this isn't like even MMA where you can be like 9 and 2. Losing is death. So it means he's never lost. And if he's a champion, it means he's won many a times, which means he's killed many men. He's never been defeated. Beyond that, he's a bit of a freak of nature, let's just be honest. The text says that his height was six cubits and a span. A cubit is measured from the tip of the elbow to the top of the middle finger. Now, statistically, I looked this up, there's averages in this. But the average man, grown male today, has a cubit that at six cubits and a span, or six and a half cubits, that would make Goliath a little over nine feet. That's the average male today. I measured mine, thanks to Jamie Anderson in the office on Monday, and if my cubit was the measurement, Goliath would be just about 10 feet tall. Now, you have to understand, the average man in the ancient world was about five feet. So that would mean Goliath was somewhere around eight feet tall. So again, picture that. He's maybe eight foot two. He would would block Shaquille O'Neal going for the dunk over and over again. He would be the most dominant center in the NBA. There would be nobody that could stop him on an NFL football field. He would literally annihilate any opponent. And on top of that, that's in today's standards, where you have six foot five, six foot six is normal. You put him against a five foot tall grown male, and he would just use his left hand. Now you put him against a boy. It's freakish. He's a beast. How about his weapons? His whole body was shielded except for his face. No normal sword fighter could even get close. In the ancient world, they they would have used these large swords based upon the height of a person. That's historically why they say William Wallace was such a dominant force. Because even though he lived several hundred years ago, he was about six foot five, which made him a freak in his day. So his sword was so long, you couldn't get close enough, but he could get to you. There was no getting close to Goliath. He would annihilate you as you approached. And even if you slightly struck him, he was covered with metal armor. In fact, the text says that his armored coat weighed 125 pounds. It's like having a very small adult male hanging around your neck. 
On top of that, the spearhead, not the actual wood shaft, the spearhead was around 16 pounds. I brought a little show and tell. This is called a shot put. This is not the shot put that the ladies throw. The ladies throw all the way up through the Olympics an eight pound shot put. This is not even the shot put that the high school fellas throw. The high school shot put is 12 pounds. This is the shot put that Olympians and Division I college athletes throw, 16 pounds. Now this isn't attached to a pole weighing how many more pounds. This is just a shot put. The world champion, a guy from no other than Texas, I learned a lot of this from my oldest son. The world record holder who broke the record just in 2019 has been able to throw this 16-pound shot over 76 feet, which is a freakish throw. They grow them big in Texas. Right? The average, the, the winner of the college championships last year, also from the University of Texas, I think he threw it 70 feet. Again, that's amazing. Now imagine taking something this far and putting it on a spear and being the size of Goliath, that is unheard of. You can come up later, maybe the kids will want to after the service and come up and just see, guard your toes, pick this thing up and feel how heavy it is. It weighs a ton. The text spends a lot of time wanting to overwhelm us with, God's, with Goliath's dominance. Why? Like, why spend so much time impressing us with Goliath? Here's why. To show us like a mirror the way our heart wants to trust in something other than God. The moment you would look at that man and say, I would not want to volunteer, the text is showing you're not letting God be your lenses. If you got too impressed with Goliath's size and a bit too intimidated to, to engage him, you might be just like the Israelites. Brothers and sisters, that, that's the honesty of the text. Do you know who we are in the story? We aren't David. We're the Israelites seeing this massive man. And did you, did, did you notice in the text, this didn't just happen for one day. Goliath came out with the armies on two sides. He challenged the Israelites. He waited there how no, who knows how long, and then he went back. And he did that, the text says, 40 days in a row. And not one person... Not one man went out there and said, enough, you, you are going to be ripping on our God. You are going to be rebuking our people. I am done with that. No, all of them looked at Goliath and said, woe is me. There's nothing I can do against him. But remember what chapter 16 already prepared us to do. For Samuel 16, 7, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature. Isn't that interesting? That was just the chapter before. And it was talking about David, but the same verse applies to the massive Goliath. Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The second thing this text is teaching us is that Goliath's challenge 
of God's people directs us to look to Christ alone to be our champion. I've already, I've already tried to set the context, right, of chapter 16 gave those four things that are totally in the biblical story pointing to Christ, or even little things, like the, the representation, David speaks of R, he, he realized he's representing a large group of people, or the fact that David's got his shepherd pouch still on him as he goes out to battle. But with pride and confidence, Goliath challenges Israel to a personal fight. The challenge seems insurmountable. Which man could have had an, any kind of reasonable chance against him? Let alone a boy. Like, how silly did it look? Now, please note that Goliath wasn't just taking on Israel. He was defying Israel's God. And proof of this is in verse 26. The end of verse 26, David says, imaginingly with anger, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine? That's, that's not a rip. That's not like a junior high name. That means he's not a couple, one of God's covenant people. Like he is outside the covenant. So this guy's coming to God's own people and he's challenging not them. He's challenging their God. Like if you think like mama jokes aren't allowed, right? What do you do with God jokes? I mean, mama jokes are what we did in junior high. God jokes are what they did in adulthood. It was God against God. So this was not just a military battle as you and I might conceive of it. This was whose God is stronger. And for 40 days, 40 days, this massive man came out and said, your God is nothing. He is weak and impotent, and I will prove it to you. I will represent my gods. Who's going to represent your God? 40 days. But David says, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And notice what that rip is saying back. Those are just stones and wood monuments. We have a God who's alive. Who does he think he is? This story is not just true, it's brilliant. Like a movie going back and forth between scenes that eventually come together. Right? You've got this massive army, you've got this threatening Goliath, bloop, next scene, it's, you're in a little bit of a, a, a field, and there's a few sheep, and there's some boys sitting there, and all of a sudden, David, dad calls, or a servant says, your dad wants to see you, yeah, dad, uh, can you bring some cheese and some bread, hey, sure, could be good to see my brothers, and boom, next scene, there's Goliath, right? Standing there challenging God's people. And here comes the shepherd boy singing his little tunes. Maybe he's 13, 12, who knows, right? The story just weaves them together. And here he comes with his cheese and his bread, and he hears this massive man and these knee-shaking Israelites. And he stands there and says, you can talk like that about my God? And his older brother says, hey, 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 back up, shorty. Back up, back up. What are you talking about? Who do you think you are? It's not about who I am. It doesn't do with me at all, actually. He's picking on our God. He's picking on our God. Like a, like a beautifully portrayed movie, the divine director of Scripture introduces Goliath, moves to a herd of sheep, 
And then has David arrived just in time to hear the 40th day of challenge? You asked for it, Goliath. You said, give me a man. That's exactly what Pilate declared in John 19. After he was beaten, bloodied, before he went to the cross, Pilate said, behold the man. A bloody and beaten Jesus who was about to defeat sin and death on the cross. Goliath's challenge of God's people directs us to look right past David to the true champion of God's people, Jesus. Third, like Jesus, David was misunderstood by his people, did not trust their reasoning, and did not entrust himself to their weapons. By seeing David as an image of Christ, we can see how Jesus had the same response to his divine mission as David. Even with the older brothers, Jesus had the same thing. His older brothers were like, who do you think you are? Like, you got to do dishes like we do. You know Messiah. That's exactly what Eliab said to his youngest brother. David also displayed a Christ-like vision of what was happening, specifically in verses 32 and 37. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Again, remember 16.7, right? Do not look on his appearance or the heart of his stature. Do not look on the outward appearance. Verse 32, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. David would also not use the same weapons of warfare that was believed to be successful. Again, think of this new covenant battle. Our fight is not against flesh and blood. An Ephesians 6 depiction of the weapons of warfare, and it's things like truth, scripture, righteousness, salvation, the power of the Spirit. It's not the way the world fights. Brothers and sisters, this text rebukes us not just to fight our, for our marriages or our children or our businesses, but to look deeply how easily we just want to put on the armor of this world. And like David saying to Saul, I don't wear this stuff. Finally, the fourth thing this text teaches us, David's victory lifts us up to see the truth that all battles belong to the Lord. Goliath was a beastly man. Imagine him probably about twice the height of the, the skinny little boy. Imagine those skinny little legs on an 11 or 12 year old. And this massive man with armor that weighs more than David. Goliath had the best weaponry humanity could invent. And David had a shepherd's pouch with a few stones he quickly picked up in the crick. But David had the name of the Lord. That's said strongly at the midsection of our text in verses 45 and 47. And remind you of that. Name in the Bible is not just a descriptive title. 
Bob, Tim. Name in the Bible is a person's character, a person's authority, and a person's power. So the name of the Lord is not just what he goes by, but who he is. David came in the power of God. And David's words in verses 45 through 47, in your notes, it's the last few verses. That is the thrust of this text. Goliath calls out to him. He's cursing the God of David. The Philistines said to David, 44, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Who wouldn't be a little nervous? Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of of the Lord of hosts. Brothers and sisters, God had no idea what that meant, but he's about to find out. But you and I should know. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. Who did the work? The Lord. And I will strike you down and cut off your head. You're going to have to remove some armor first. Just imagine that. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. And he took the very first stone from his shepherd's pouch and he launched it at the massive man in the only spot even visible. And the text says the stone sunk in and killed him immediately. What was Eliab saying, the older brother on the sideline that day? Do you think the Israelites said, this tells me exactly how I can make my business better. Now I know how to save my marriage. You think that's what the people were saying? You know what they said? Who is this God of Israel? Who is this God who defies all of our reason and logic and redeems through one man, a little boy, So how should we respond to this text? Shall we think that we can take the place of David or replace Goliath for problems with our finances, our marriages, or our physical health? Again, those are real problems. The God of the Bible does deal with those, but this text is not wanting you to dwell upon ourselves. This isn't a navel-gazing text. This text is exalting. It's lifting your chin up to look to the heavens. This text gives us a peak from which to stand to see the overwhelming power of God against all forces, to see that the only man who can stand up to the most ferocious and monstrous enemies in heaven and earth is the man God chooses. And who is that man? Promised through a little boy who was a shepherd in the context of sacrifice, 
from a little town of Bethlehem with character that reflects God. Who is that man? His name is Jesus. And we're gathered today in his name. In this passage, God rebukes the wisdom of the world by showing his great power in the one man, Jesus Christ. That Christ represents the covenant people of God in a mighty battle. And you and I, brothers and sisters, are not the slayer of giants. Christ is the giant slayer. And maybe the application doesn't totally fit to your marriage or your children from this text. There's lots that do. But if it causes you to have a vision that gets a big picture of God, if it causes you to behold the power of God, even in a world where we think its dominance and power can have a say, if it strengthens your encouragement when Christ says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, do you need more proof? And if it just causes you to worship the fact that if you and I were in the story, we were not in the field. We were cowering on the sidelines, waiting for one representative of God to stand up to defeat our enemy, and he did. But he did it not by the world's wisdom. He did it through a cross. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Father, let us be a church that confesses like the prophet Jeremiah calls us to, that there is none like you, O Lord, that you are great, and great is your name in might. And the prophet must have known the true story of David and Goliath. And Father, how boastful of it is it that, that we would take this story and make it about us. Truncate the real battle to fit our own, to try to get God to fit in our life rather than to expand our vision of who God is and to get our life into God. And thank you that you have reminded us again today that it is not by might nor by power, but by your spirit and help us to be a people that live and trust and worship the God whose name is great and who, just like God's people of old, is represented by one man, insignificant in appearance, not seeming of the wisdom of this world, rejected by both the Jews and the Gentiles. But to the Christian, it is the power of God. It is a shepherd tending to his sheep and saving us from the mouth of the lion. Father, we thank you so much for the beauty of your word and the gift of Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.